Is there something that you've always wanted to do or someplace you've wanted to go before you die? Uh, a few years ago, a popular movie uh, made popular the, uh, the phrase, a bucket list. Things you want to do before you die. Do you have anything on your list? I know uh, oftentimes younger people will say something like, well, I'd really like to get married before I die. Or I'd really like to have children before I die. And maybe you've gotten to the age where you said, man, I'd love to meet my grandchildren. Some of you have gotten to the age where you're like, oh man, I hope I get to stay to see my great-grandchildren. For others, the bucket list looks more like an adventure, some new fun experience they want to try at least once before they die. Like, hey, I want to go skydiving or I want to go scuba diving, something like that. Maybe it's travel. Say, oh man, I'd love to see some, some of Europe or I'd love to see the Grand Canyon or something like that. I was thinking about this this past week, if, if I've ever had a list like that. And I, I really haven't. I'm a pretty simple man. And I, I was just like, not really, except, and then one thing came to mind like, oh yeah, that was on my bucket list. But it's checked off. And that was to see the Chicago Cubs win the World Series in my lifetime. I can die a happy man. I don't mind telling you. I'm dead serious. I mean, when that, no pun intended, dead serious, right? (laughs) Uh, That made me so happy. And uh, they never have to win it again as far as I'm concerned. One time, that's what I wanted. They gave it to me. I'm good. There's a man in first century in the land of Palestine whose name was Simeon. And Simeon had sort of a bucket list. And As far as we know, his bucket list only had one thing on it as well. Simeon, before he died, wanted to personally see the Messiah. As a righteous and devout Jew, he understood the prophecies of the Old Testament and the promise of a coming Savior, of a coming Messiah. And his heart was just overwhelmed with this hopefulness that he could see the Messiah before he died. And in fact, it's pretty amazing, but God actually promised Simeon that indeed he would not die until he saw the Messiah. What a promise that he got from God. Simeon, you will not die until you actually see the long-awaited Messiah. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, and Luke includes Simeon as just another witness to who this baby really is. That a number of little-known Bible characters are inserted in Matthew and in Luke in the accounts of Jesus' birth and and early childhood, infancy, to, to point to the fact that this wasn't an ordinary baby, that righteous and devout people recognized this was a totally different situation than the world has ever seen before. And so we're in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 25, and I'd ask now that you'd please stand at the reading of God's word. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. 
He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. I had to pause here and take note. If you were here last week, we looked at the trust of Mary and how Mary had such great theology because she understood she was the servant and God was the master, that that is the correct relationship. And you see that same great theology here with Simeon. He says, Sovereign Lord, that is master, boss, the one in charge, now let your servant die in peace. That's bottom line foundational great theology, remembering our relationship to a holy God. So he goes on, as you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Now, if Simeon had stopped talking right there, the parents would have been amazed. They would have been encouraged. They already were told some amazing things about him, that he was the son of the most high God, that he would bring about forgiveness for the people. And so the revelation uh, uh, that God was giving of who this baby was, was ever expanding. And if Simeon had stopped there, his parents would have been encouraged and amazed. But he goes on. And what you're going to see now in these next words we read is that Simeon turns a corner and his words become unsettling. They become disconcerting. There's a certain definite foreboding tone to what he now tells them. Picking up at verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Father God, we thank you that you give testimony to the true identity of your Son. And Father, we thank you for the gift of Christ, that this child who was born in Bethlehem was unlike any other in the history of the world. And Father, I pray this morning that you would open each of our hearts and minds to the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We thank you for the testimony of Simeon and for his faith. We pray, Father, we would learn from it. God, help us this morning to accept the encouraging positive truths about Christ. But Lord, give us the grace to also accept and receive hard truths things that aren't as easy to hear. Lord, we want to commit this time to you. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. Give us teachable, coachable, receptive hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Simeon's proclamation is twofold. All right? And here's the first part of his proclamation. Simeon communicates in no uncertain terms that Jesus is salvation to us all. That Jesus himself is salvation. When Simeon utters the words, I have seen your salvation, it's once he has laid his eyes on this child, on this baby. He looks at a person, a baby, and says, I have seen your salvation. A number of years ago, I was in grad school, 
at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And uh, one day after a long day of classes, I decided I wanted to get in a workout. I went to the gym. Now, I'll give you a little background. I'll tell you this. At that time, uh, Moody had a contract with the NBA where any visiting NBA teams that were in town to play the Chicago Bulls ran their practices in Moody's gym. So that was kind of cool. And on this particular day, the Orlando Magic were using the gym, and that was way back in the day when Shaquille O'Neal was on their team. And so the gym was abuzz with all kinds of people because the NBA team and all its entourage was there. All types of media was there. There's a number of NBA executives who were there in the lobby, including uh, Hall of Famer Jerry West, and there's all kinds of gawking fans and things. And so the place was a zoo, right? I just wanted to have a workout. So I walk in, there's an undergrad student behind the desk. I gotta show my ID to get in. I forgot my ID back in the dorm room, 15 minute walk away, all right? So I'm trying to sweet talk this guy into letting me in. I was like, don't I look like a moody student? I'm like, come on, you know? You gotta let me in. He was like, nope, can't get in unless you have your ID. I was really aggravated with the guy behind the desk. You know how you get aggravated with people when they're just doing their job? You know what I mean? And so I was super aggravated with him, but at the same time, it's like, he's just doing his job. So I was like, Ugh. so walked out. As I walked out, I literally bumped into this guy named Tim, and Tim was one of the vice presidents of the school. I just happened to know him, and he happened to know me and know me by name. And so as I walked by Tim, he says, Dave, you done with your workout? You're not even sweating yet. And I was like, oh, I couldn't get in. I forgot my ID. I got to go back to my dorm room and get my ID. And he said, come with me. And so I got right on his heels, man. He walked through the door. He went by the counter, and we didn't even break stride. And as we walked by the counter, he said to the kid behind the desk, he's with me. And I looked at the kid like, yeah, eat it. You know, it was like, <laughs> I got in, and I didn't have my ID. It was awesome, right? But I'll tell you this. What got me access was that I had a personal relationship with somebody important. Tim didn't give me advice on how to sneak in the back door. He didn't give me advice on how to sweet talk the worker behind the counter. The way he gave me access was through his own personhood. I rode on his heels right into where I wanted to go. And you see, that access that I received was through a person. Here's where I'm going with this and what I want you to see. It's important that you grasp this this morning. That salvation is found in a person. Not in a set of beliefs that you have to subscribe to. It's not in a list of rules or a schedule of religious rituals to be performed. That's why so often we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because salvation's not found in religious ritual or in moral, moral do-gooding. It's found in a person. And it's all about who you know. Now, those of us who live in the Cook County, Chicago area know that it's all about who you know, right? We've grown up in that environment. It's all about who your connections are. Folks, I'm telling you this. It can't be more true spiritually. It's all about who you know, your connections, your relationships, and salvation's found in a person. Simeon understood that. He said, I've seen your salvation, looking at a baby, looking at a person. Jesus understood this, and Jesus taught this. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And so Jesus didn't say, I can show you the way. He didn't say, I can give you advice on how you can gain life. He didn't say anything like that. He said, I am these things that the way, the truth, the life were all found within a person. And so you see, when you think about salvation and forgiveness and access to heaven, it's all about recognizing that Jesus is our salvation. It's found in a person. And so the good news of Jesus Christ isn't spiritual advice. Pretty much every other world religion gives people advice on how to reach God. You got to face this way and pray this way so many times a day, and you got to read this and you got to do that and don't do this. And it's a list of advice on how to get to heaven. What sets the gospel of Jesus Christ apart is it's not advice, it's proclaiming news. It's merely proclaiming good news of what God has already done for you. And the amazing thing is there's nothing left for you and I to do. Our greatest needs have been met. God has done it all. The death of his son on the cross and his bodily resurrection provided the access for us and Christ fulfilled his mission. And so when we proclaim the good news to people, you don't have to do anything except take it. Just take that gift out of God's hand by faith. That's the good news of Christ and that salvation's found in him. Pretty often, I I talk to people who are searching spiritually and, you know, oftentimes they begin attending church and um, they start listening and, and, you know, they're very, very interested and I'll touch base with them just to see how they're doing, see where they're at. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've had people say to me, yeah, I'm really enjoying coming to ACC and I'm learning a lot. And yeah, I just know that I, I, I got to start trying harder to be a better person. Or they'll say, yeah, I'm coming because I know I got to turn over a new leaf. So I'm trying real hard to make that happen. And whenever I hear somebody say that, it kind of just, oh, it just kind of tugs on my heart because I know they don't quite get it yet. Because my friends, if you trying harder to be a good person could get you access to God, then Jesus was a fool to have suffered the way that he did. If you just simply turning over a new leaf was enough to gain you access to heaven, Jesus didn't need to die. And so the spiritual development of a person becoming a believer, becoming a Christian, is when they start to get to the point where they understand it's not about them that they could never be good enough. They can never do enough good deeds. They can never get religious enough. But that salvation is just a gift that Christ is waiting to give them. This salvation, Simeon said, is prepared for all people. He also said he is a light to reveal God to the nations. And it's a reminder that one of the most radical things about the revelation of Christ in the first century is this revelation was for everybody. It wasn't just for the nation of Israel. See, up till that time, most of us are Gentiles. There might be a few uh, uh, people of Jewish descent in this room, but most of us are Gentiles. And so folks, you need to understand, we're on the outside looking in. We're on the outside looking in. We weren't part of God's chosen nation. And so the radical thing that was hinted at in the Old Testament, but became real clear as the gospel began to spread, is this salvation wasn't just for one people group. It was for everybody. Everybody's Savior is Christ. 
But you do see it in the Old Testament. Look at one of Isaiah's prophecies, Isaiah 52, verse 10. It says, the Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the victory of our God. And so the salvation in Christ is for every tribe, every tongue, every nation. God loves all people and he's bringing all people to himself. That was a radical development for first century Judaism. All right, now, here's the second part of Simeon's proclamation. The second thing that he was communicating to Mary and Joseph was this, that Jesus reveals our attitude toward God. In a way, unlike any other thing, Jesus reveals our attitude towards God. In the second part of Simeon's proclamation, it becomes apparent that the road ahead for this precious child is not going to be easy and certainly will not be without controversy. Let's read it again. Reread, let's reread verse 34 and 35. He said, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Unpacking this for just a few moments. He says that many will fall and many others will rise. This is actually a thinly veiled reference to uh, some prophecies in the book of Isaiah where it speaks of Christ being a rock or being a stone. And what I want you to see in scripture is that Jesus is always a rock. He's either a stumbling block or a precious cornerstone. And see, that'll be determined by people's response to him. That people can meet Christ and have two opposite responses. Some people trip up on him and some people build their lives upon him. But either way, he's functioning as a rock. Isaiah 8 is where we get the metaphor of Jesus being a stumbling block. And boy, you don't have to look hard in scriptures to see that, do you? You read the gospel accounts of Christ's life, and what you see is that Jesus had some antagonists who were a part of his life. They were the chief religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests. And you know what? When they encountered Jesus, they tripped over him big time because he wasn't at all what they were expecting. And he had the audacity to call them out on their corruption and on their hard-heartedness, and they didn't like him. And this Jesus who came to be their savior, to be their rock, ended up being a rock that they tripped over and stumbled over. It reminded me of what we learn in John chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. It says, Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. And so you see, many people fell They didn't rise up, they fell. Because when they encountered Jesus, they stumbled over him. But in Isaiah chapter 28, this Messiah is spoken of as being a precious cornerstone. And that metaphor is used in the book of Romans, I think it is chapter 9, and in Ephesians chapter, I think it is 2, to explain the rejection by Israel of Christ and the foundation of the church. And so uh, a cornerstone 
provides for a building direction and stability and strength, a sure foundation. And so some people, when they encounter Christ, they build their life upon him. They find stability for the first time ever. And they sense that there's strength there and direction for their life there. And Christ is their cornerstone. And you know what? When it's all said and done, at the end of time, basically that's going to be the two categories of people. Those who found Christ to be something that they stumbled over and tripped up upon. And those who built their lives upon him and found him to be their cornerstone. There's really no neutrality. There's no third option when it comes to Christ. And so Simeon drives this home, okay? Jesus is God's litmus test for where a person truly is spiritually. He says, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And you know what? Deep thoughts, you can keep to yourself, right? If you're talking to somebody and you're thinking to yourself, man, they talk a lot. I wish they'd shut up. <laughs> but it doesn't show in your eyes. doesn't show on your face. You don't say those words out loud, but that's your deepest thought, right? How do you pull the deepest thoughts out of a man or woman's heart spiritually? Find out what they really believe, what they really think. You know how you do that? You bring up Jesus. See, there's people who are very open to spirituality, right? And in fact, we kind of live in a society where spirituality is increasing in, in popularity and being applauded and, you know, good for you. If it works for you, wonderful. And so as long as you stay with generic spirituality, it's all good. But you see, when you get a little bit more specific and you talk about Jesus, fully God and fully man, and you bring up the name Jesus, all of a sudden the deepest thoughts of people are pulled out of them. <laughs> because your attitude towards Christ is a litmus test. It was actually Bible scholar Leon Morris who said people reveal themselves by their attitude towards him. And then the final words of Simeon to Mary and Joseph. He said, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Though Simeon doesn't tell Mary exactly what's going to happen to her son, he does tell her how it's going to feel. And so we read the account of the crucifixion in the Gospel of John, and we find out that Mary was standing at the foot of the cross. watching her baby boy suffer and bleed and slowly die. And I don't think it's much of a stretch for us to imagine how that made her feel and how her heart just had to feel like a sword was running through it. It caused so much pain. And the words of Simeon had to come flooding back into Mary's mind as she stood at the foot of the cross. And yet I think, too, those words are true for each of us who are followers of Christ, who you seek to share the good news of Christ and the love of Christ with people you love, and they don't believe. They don't accept. They don't trust. 
than the pain that causes us when people we love, who we want them to know Christ the way we know Christ, but they're not there yet. And my friends, that causes pain. It tears your heart out when people you love don't know Christ the way that you know Christ. I want to take you to the one final passage of Scripture this morning. I want to take you to the book of Acts, chapter 10. Uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, is given a sermon here. And uh, I want you to see what he says in verse 42 and 43. Speaking of God, he says, And he ordered us to preach everywhere, And to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. So what we find is that Jesus is the appointed judge. Scripture um, talks about it pretty clear, and I believe it, that there'll be a judgment day. I believe there'll be a day where every human being will stand before God and give an account for their life. And we'll stand before Christ. We'll stand before his bench. And here's what we know to be true. On that day, the issue each of us will have to give an account for is not going to be, okay, how often did you go to church? Every week, once a month, were you one of those people who only go at Christmas and Easter, huh? It's not going to be the question on the table. It's not even going to be, hey, how come every time the offering bag went by, you had a coughing fit and kind of had to leave the room or, you know, or what's the deal with that? It's not going to be that. It's not even going to be, hey, how come you never volunteered for children's ministry in the nursery, even though they needed help real bad. How come you never volunteered that way? It's not going to be that. I'm telling you now that when we stand before Christ as judge, the question is going to be, what did you do with me? That's it. What did you do with me? And my friends, there's only two options. There's embracing him or pushing him away. There's believing in him or rejecting him. As Isaiah would phrase it, you took him as your cornerstone or you stumbled over him. There's no other option. Have you seen the salvation that's found in Jesus? And like Simeon, metaphorically, have you held him in your arms and believed and trusted, and taken that gift. We're going to have a time of prayer, just a brief time of silent prayer, and here's what I want to do in that time of silence. I want to give you some space to do your business with God. And perhaps this morning for the first time, God's Spirit has spoken to you about, hey, it's not about trying harder. It's not about coming to church more often. (laughs) But that God loves you, God has done everything for you and he invites you to embrace his son, to see the salvation that's found in him. 
Maybe you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ is your cornerstone and he's definitely not your stumbling block and you've trusted in him. And so maybe in this time, you just pray, Lord, who am I to share Christ with this Christmas season? Who should I be praying for? But in the silence right now, I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes, to bow your head and to do your business with God in whatever way God has spoken to you this morning, okay? So let's pray. Father, I know that if you had not done a great work in my heart, I would have never embraced you. That I always would have found excuses and and thought that I was good enough on my own. That I didn't need to worry about things like that. But Lord, in your grace, you broke through. You broke down my objections. And Father, that you helped me. You gave me the gift of faith. And Father, I pray for each person in this room that your mercy would break through into their life and that you'd give them the gift of faith, that you'd help them to understand the truthfulness of the good news of Jesus. And that, Father, they would see the salvation found in Christ and they would embrace him. Father, for those who aren't quite there yet, I pray you'd continue to be patient with them and bringing them along and very soon bringing them to the point where they can place their trust in your son. Lord, help each of us to be an active witness. Help us to intentionally bless those around us to draw men and women closer to yourself. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Could you do a favor for me? If this morning you did some business with God that you considered to be fairly significant, could you jot that on the back of your communication card? We're going to take the offering in just a minute, and those cards are going to go in the bag. But if you did some significant business with God, I'd love to be able to know about it. It'd be my privilege to pray for you in this next week. So if that's true of you, just write a few words or a sentence or two um, communicating that to me, and and I would love to pray with you, okay? Uh, Before I call Pastor Chris up to uh, pray for the offering, I want to make you aware of something coming up that, as a church, we're super excited about. Seven Sundays in January and February, our church is a part of a Chicago-wide campaign called Explore God. hundreds of churches all through the area. Maybe you've seen some of the billboards or heard some of the radio advertisements, but this is a campaign um, uh, where we're seeking to reach people for Christ. And uh, they found seven questions that the average seeker, the average person who doesn't know God, a person who has a lot more questions than they do answers, the kind of big questions they're asking in that provides us with the basis for this seven-week teaching series. And so here are the seven questions in the seven big questions series. Does life have a purpose? Is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus really God? Is the Bible reliable? And can I know God personally? And so This series is going to be geared for those who are far from God, for those who don't yet know Christ, and praying that God will use this to help them cross the line of faith. You say, Dave, I've already crossed the line of faith. What's in it for me? 
Oh, what a nice question for you to ask, okay? <laughs> Let me give you the answer. This series will serve as excellent apologetics training because you are, have questions posed like this to you with neighbors and with coworkers, right? And now you won't have to, when you get a tough question, you won't have to go like that, right? But instead you say, hey, I was at that one. I just heard that one answered, right? And you're going to be able to, because you memorize all my sermons, you're going to be able to just go bleh, and you'll just be able to give it to them all, right? Or at least give them a link to a podcast or whatever. But in all seriousness, it's great apologetic training. It'll help you to be a more effective witness and to give people a reason for the hope you have, okay? Because you should be able to give some kind of answer to each of these questions. All right? And so... That's what it'll be good for. And so join us in praying for this series coming up. Uh, it's our privilege to be a part of this Explore God. And we're praying that God's Spirit breaks through and does a great work all through the Chicago area.